All right, we're gonna do this one in video and in audio. So, for podcast listeners and for our video folks watching this wherever you're watching it, this is the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment or financial decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Okay, that disclosure is a mouthful and we got it out of the way. So welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. Uh, Today I'm going to talk about uh, a word that I keep hearing a lot, and I bet you are hearing it a lot as well, and I'm going to say it, and it's a big scary word, and I want you to think about how it makes you feel when I say it. Ready? Let me take a, uh, before I do clear my throat, take a sip from my limited edition Life Moves water tumbler, whatever else you put in your tumbler, mine has water, promise. And that is high-quality H2O. Okay, here's the word. Ready? Recession. <sighs> oh, recession. Kind of reminds me of on the uh, the Lion King when um, when the hyenas are talking to uh, Scar. And uh, it was Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Ooh. Yeah, recession, recession, recession. Ooh, kind of gives you the shivers, right? Um, is that a scary word? After all, isn't recession just another way to say reset? And is it possible that after the past three years, that's kind of what we need? Moreover, isn't it possible that that's what we've been experiencing since about a year ago? The beginning of 2022 all the way through the year. It was an abysmal year in the stock market. It felt terrible. Our bonds didn't hold up. Our stocks didn't hold up. None of our... Other investments that were speculative held up, right? Crypto didn't hold up. SPACs are almost non-existent at this point. NFTs are a joke. Um, Yeah, reset, right? The reason why I think this is an interesting word is because it is being talked about so much. In fact, I was at the Apple store last week and the representative who helped me with my purchase asked me what I did as I was logging in my information because I have a business account uh, there because of my you know MacBook and that kind of thing that I use for work and um, and we got to talking about what I do for a living and she told me that she's been trying to buy a house and she's waiting because she is convinced and her realtor and her mortgage professional have backed this up. Uh, that we are headed for a major um, decline in the housing market and people are going to foreclose on their houses and people are just going to lose their homes kind of like in 2008. Now I hear this and I take maybe two or three minutes and just go, well, you know, actually here's here's what I, here's what I think is going to happen. Here's what we're seeing. Here's how this really isn't like what happened in 2007 and 2008, especially with the housing market, um, you know, here's what the numbers show. She was 100% convinced that I was wrong. 
because it certainly feels like we're headed for a ref, uh, an inflation. I'm sorry. It certainly feels like we're headed for a recession because of inflation and because of interest rates and because of some other things and because of the stock market and because of jobs being lost. And so um, if she waits six to nine months, the housing market should uh, crash enough and the interest rate should come down and it'll make sense for her to buy. Okay, maybe. So anytime that we're talking about a recession and we're talking about impacts on things like the housing market and the stock market and the bond market and other investments and jobs, we have to deal with three things. Three. The first is the numbers. The second is the things we can't control. And then the third is our emotions around the first two. And so the things we can't control largely drive the numbers and what happens and the numbers and what happens largely drive our emotions around it. So those things, three things can kind of balled up together. So the things we can't control are things like the Fed and Congress and monetary policy and fiscal policy and the stock market and the bond market and oil prices and international trade and uh, conflicts abroad and things like that. We can't really control much of the numbers. Some of the things we can, um, depending on where we participate in the economy, but we can 100% control our emotions around the numbers. So I wanna talk a little bit about the numbers today and I wanna talk a little bit about our emotions around the numbers. Now there's a lot happening. Um, the easiest headline that's grabbing attention are layoffs and the numbers sound big. So for example, recently Google announced that they're laying off 12,000 people, Amazon 18,000, Meta, Facebook, uh, 11,000, Microsoft, 10,000, Salesforce, 8,000. Um, I think 3M is cutting something like uh, 2,500 manufacturing jobs. Do I have that right? Is it 3M? It is 3M. 2,500 global manufacturing jobs. Um, that sounds pretty scary. People start losing their jobs. Um, that sounds like economic slowdown. That sounds like recession, right? What's really interesting is that the job market currently is still very tight. So unemployment as of the end of December is 3.5% roughly. We're going to get the new unemployment numbers later this week. Today's Monday, January 30th. Those are going to come out at the end of this week. Um, so 3.5%, that's roughly 2.1 million jobless claims. And if you go from December of 2022, go back 20 years all the way, to December of 2002, that's average. So we have an average job market as of right now. So the market's still strong. Uh, wage growth is still strong. If you're staying at your job, wage growth expectations are roughly 5.5%. If you're changing jobs, you can still get an increase in pay. Uh, wage growth for job switchers is about 7.7%, so almost 50% better than those who are staying at their jobs. So a lot of these tech companies that are laying off people aggressively recruited and aggressively hired through 2020 and 2021 and 2022 even, and now they're having to right size their workforce. 
And some of that's because they need to drive a healthy balance sheet. They need to drive earnings. And sometimes you do that by reducing cost, especially if you can't grow the top line. But what's interesting is that even if they're not growing the top line, inflation has pushed those numbers higher. Now, inflation pushes both the top and the bottom line on a balance sheet. It pushes your top line higher because it looks like there's more earnings growth because the numbers are inflated. And on the bottom side, your cost, your inputs are higher because of inflation. So it looks like you're spending more money. And so you can argue that things kind of stay the same, but they look different on paper. A lot of those jobs that are being cut are being absorbed into still a very healthy market. Um, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics agrees with that. They're, they're saying that the, the market is still quite tight. The Federal Reserve um, on their monetary decisions are saying that the labor market is still tight. In fact, they'd like to see the labor market weaken a little bit. Um, and that's driving part of what their decision is for how much more they continue to raise rates and, and how far. Uh, they also want to see inflation come down, which we've seen a drastic um, material decrease since the summer of last year when we peaked over 9%. We're down to now a little over 6%. As of the most recent reading, we'll get that number later this week as well. So that'll be interesting to see what happens. But, um, you know, with the Fed, as they continue to make their monetary policy decision. What's been really interesting is that we used to really not know what the Fed was doing. We didn't hear a lot from them. Um, you know, we got their, potentially their press release when they were moving rates, um, and that was that. Uh, or we got the Beige Book, if you wanted to read through that, which um, was the notes from the Fed Open Market Committee, the FOMC, when they met, um, which would be kind of what their expectations were and what they were seeing. But it was it was a non-event. Now, Fed meetings are major events, and uh, and the Fed governors all have a microphone. They all have social media accounts, and so they're kind of influence, influencers. Um, if you look across the economy like that, so. Um, here's a quote from Dallas Fed President Lori Logan, and uh, she says, "One of the question quote one of the questions I'm asked most often is, how much more will we do? More specifically, how high will we raise interest rates? Or as my family used to ask on our road trips back home to Kentucky, are we there yet? Common question: Are we there yet? Now she says, for those of you who have taken a family road trip, you know that sometimes the best way to handle that question." is not to answer it, which I think is a really interesting thing to say when you're a Fed uh, president. So the best way to handle are we there yet is not to answer it. The same is true today in monetary policy. My own view is that we will likely need to continue to gradually increasing the Fed funds rate until we see convincing evidence that inflation is on track to return to our 2% target in a sustainable and timely way. So if the target is 2% inflation, we're running somewhere roughly around 6% or slightly better than that. We still have a way to go. We've come down a bit, but we have a way to go. The Fed has two mandates, largely. When they're 
affecting monetary policy. The first is they want to keep inflation stable, 2% is their target. And then they want to keep a healthy labor force. And so a healthy labor force might be in the four-ish percent range. We're currently at about three and a half. So they'd like to see inflation come down and labor market to actually decrease a little bit. So literally, we have to root for some people to lose their jobs to, uh, to see what the Fed's going to do with that. It's a weird place to, to be. Now, what's really interesting is our Fed is saying we have to keep continuing to raise. They're expected to go another 25 basis points or 0.25% in the month of February. I think that they'll go, they'll raise in February 25 basis points. I think they'll raise 25 basis points again in March, and then I think they'll pause. And here's why. Uh, the Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem quoted, uh, quote, just this month, we have, raised rapid, we have raised rates rapidly, and now it's time to pause and assess whether monetary policy is sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation back down to their 2% target. Recent developments have reinforced our confidence that inflation is coming down, and as a result, we expect that this will be the final rate hike of this cycle. Quote, we are talking about a pause. We are trying to balance the risks of over and under tightening. It's definitely a tough place to be. And of course, we have heard the Fed talk about um, trying to have a soft landing, which means that they're able to raise rates just enough to um, meet their mandates, but not throw us into a, uh, a big recession. Because if we go into recession, that's probably going to tip off uh, the rest of the world and cause maybe a bit of a global slowdown. Here's what's really interesting about the Fed raising rates is where we are right now, and I'm going to uh, quickly look this up because I don't want to, I think I know where it is, but I don't want to uh, say the wrong thing from memory. So um, this week, the Fed Fund's current target rate is 425 to 4.5%. Now, just as a refresher, the Fed can't set the exact rate. That's why they set it in a range. The Fed member banks set the exact rate that they use to borrow money from each other in the overnight market, which is what that Fed funds rate determines. Um, and typically, they kind of cut it right in the middle. So we're probably looking at a true rate of somewhere about... Let's call it uh, 4.36, 4.37, something like that. 4.35, somewhere in that range. Fed gives guidance of four and a quarter to four and a half. So they go another 25 basis points in February. Now we're at four and a half to 4.75. And then if they go again 25 basis points in March, we're touching now a range at roughly 5%. 4.75 to 5 is going to be the range. Now, I pulled some quotes from some of the CEOs when they're doing their fourth quarter earnings calls over the past couple of weeks, and a lot of them are talking about uncertainty. Some of them are talking about a uh, resilient consumer. The um, CEOs from Visa, MasterCard, and American Express are talking about spending being on trend. Now, 
take that for what it is. That's credit card spending. That's great, but sometimes that's not necessarily a great indicator, but they're all feeling pretty good right about now. Um, some of the other um, CEOs like from Brown & Brown, which is the insurance company, um, they're saying that they're seeing stability from what their consumers are spending. Uh, ADP CEO says that there are some deceleration signs like in layoffs, but the bigger picture is still healthy. Um, Texas Instruments is showing some caution. 3M showing some caution. Microsoft is showing caution. DR Horton is showing caution. All that fun stuff. Um, but here's what's interesting. Uh, in the earnings call for Tesla, CEO Elon Musk said the following, and I'm going to read his quote directly. He said, um, and actually, before I do that, I'm going to just really quickly check my memory on one more thing. Uh, okay. Uh, very good, very good. Here we go. Okay. Here's Elon Musk's quote. Uh, and I just wanted to verify one thing that he said to make sure that I was quoting it correctly as well. Okay. Elon Musk quotes, if I recall correctly, the S&P 500 has a long-term rate of return of roughly 6%. Side note, depending on where you draw the markers, it's actually a little bit higher. Even if you go back to 1926, the long-term uh, rate of return in the stock market is more in the range of 7 to 9%, again, depending on where you put the markers. So anyway, just as a side note. Back to Elon's quote. And so I think the Fed needs to be very cautious about having a Fed rate that potentially exceeds 6%. And remember, I just said that where we are in the Fed funds rate, four and a quarter to four and a half, if they continue to increase, we could very well touch 5% by March of this year. So in Elon's view, if the long-term return of the S&P 500 is 6% and the Fed funds rate is getting close to that, let me pick up the quote. Like, if we see deflation, and I think we are seeing deflation, then you would add the deflation number to the risk-free rate from the Fed. So the risk-free rate is considered to be the rate at which you would have no potential for loss. Typically, that's going to be a treasury note or treasury bill, depending on what you're using. Sometimes it's the three-month treasury sometimes it's the two-year treasury sometimes it's the 10-year treasury but for the most part you're going to go with the shorter term because the three month for example there there's no risk of loss at that point so that tends to be what we use and we use that a lot in investment math um, okay so uh, back to Elon's quote um, Okay, risk-free rate from the Fed. And as that starts to exceed 6%, now you're starting to exceed the long-term return of the S&P 500, and that starts to become questionable as to why don't you just put your money in T-bills or savings account and essentially do that instead of the S&P 500 if the S&P 500 is variable or volatile and the bank or the Fed interest rate is not. And so in Elon's assessment, the Fed is, quote, at risk of crushing the value of all equities 
quite a serious danger. And, and he's correct. And so that's where this whole engineering a soft landing becomes very, very delicate practice because they have to, um, they have to manage what's happening uh, in the stock market as they continue to raise rates. They also have to understand what that means for Treasury and our ability as a government to meet our interest obligations on our debt. And we, we just hit the debt ceiling last week. And so now we're going to have a fight about that in Congress. And that's a lot of showmanship and a lot of pageantry and political stunting and all that fun stuff. But that's where we are. And meanwhile, Elon's point is correct. So if you can get a treasury rate that's almost as high as the stock market uh, or as high as the stock market, why would you invest in stocks when they're so volatile? Well, the short answer, and you're going to say, well, that's just what we would expect to hear from a financial advisor. But the short answer is because the greatest generator of wealth in history is the U.S. stock market. It just is. And you can pull that over any 20-year period you want, any 15-year period you want, any 40-year period you want. And the stock market always wins historically. Um, and you can even take that back further than 1926, but 1926 is when we kind of start to draw the lines on what we know as now kind of the modern indexes. Um, the Dow Jones, the original Dow 30, that's going to go back to the 1890s, I think 1896 or something like that, 1894 is when the original Dow divisor was was written. And so, you know, you can you can really trace this stuff back, but... Here's what's interesting. So to Elon's point, uh, the S&P 500 is up year to date. And this is January 30th when I'm recording this year to date, about 5.9%, sorry, 5.09% year to date. That's roughly, I don't know, 11% uh, negative over a one year period, but year to date up 5.09%. You can get a three-month treasury right now for 4.7% yield. Now, you're going to have some price volatility if rates start to fall because, as I've said in the past, if you recall, or you can go on to lifemoveswealth.com and um, read some of the commentary on the market updates I've done there, but yields on bonds and prices on bonds have an inverse relationship. I often describe it to clients as, Thinking about the last time that you were on a seesaw, you're going to put the yield on one end, you're going to put the price on the other, and they're going to move in opposite directions. But even without the price volatility, 4.73% year yield on a three-month treasury, stock market's up 5%. So if you have cash that's sitting on the sidelines, your question is, do I want something that seems guaranteed? A three-month treasury is kind of guaranteed. Now, that 4.73%, by the way, is an annualized percentage of yield. So you're not going to get 4.73% on your money in three months. You're going to get an annualized version of that. But still, that's your yield. Why wouldn't you put money there? And if you want, if you want to do a full one-year one treasury, you're going to be somewhere in about the 4.5 range, 4.4 range. So let's do that. Over the over one year, you can get 4.4 guaranteed yield, or you can go on the stock market, and who knows what we're going to get. 
especially if you're anchoring to what happened in 2022, 2022. Now, let me talk a little bit about the stock market because the bond market, the, the yield curve is inverted, um, by the way, because if the three-month treasury is 4.73 and the two-year is 4.19, the 10-year is 3.5. And so that means short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. And typically when the yield curve inverts, that signals that a recession is somewhere about six to nine months ahead. I'm going to come back to that point. But let's go to the stock market. So we currently have um, an earnings of about just under $200 per share. We're looking at a forward price to earnings ratio of 17.8, which is a little bit higher than the long-term average, but lower than where we had been over the past two to three years. We're expecting that earnings are gonna go up to about 250 per share, according to FactSet, that's their estimate. So if we multiply uh, the earnings and the price, uh, sorry, the earnings per share and the price to earnings, that's going to take you somewhere in about the 4,500 range on the S&P 500. If you go back to the Financial Purpose podcast, I believe it was episode 10, which is where is the market headed in 2023. I did that math a little bit more uh, to both sides, to the upside and the downside. So you can go back and listen to that episode and uh, and hear that math. But if we get to an earnings um, or, uh, sorry, if we get the earnings and we stabilize the price to earnings ratio, and we reach a level on the S&P 500 of 45.19, that's 11 to 12% higher. Let's just call it 11% higher than where we are today. And we're already up 5% year to date. You're not going to get that sitting in treasuries over the next year. You're going to get the yield that's going to potentially change, and you're going to have price volatility, which is going to bring your total return down a little bit. The stock market has the potential to continue going up. It has the potential to continue going down. But right now, we've got roughly 54% of the market is rated as a buy. About 40% is rated as a hold, and roughly 6% is rated as a sell. So most of the indications are that the market trends are moving higher. If you look at some of the technical indicators of the S&P 500, they point to buying. Um, many of the stocks in the S&P 500 are trading above their long-term averages. Many of them are reporting healthy earnings. In fact, as of Friday, roughly uh, a third, uh, so right about 30% of all the companies in the S&P 500 started reporting results from their fourth quarter of 2022, 69% reported earnings above their estimates. Now those estimates, even though they were above estimates, they're still below the five and 10 years. So there's a little bit of weakness in the earnings, which we would say maybe is influenced by interest rates and inflation. Naturally, that would be the case. Um, there were some negative earnings, mostly coming from financials and industrials, and we're seeing a lot of year-over-year -year earnings growth in uh, four of the 11 sectors of the S&P 500. Revenues are reporting higher um, than estimates, but they're still slightly below the 5- and 10-year averages. Looking ahead, the analysts are expecting that we're going to see earnings decline in the first and second quarter of 2023. We should end the back half of the year strong, and that's going to get us up to our earnings and a uh, overall growth rate for uh, the S&P 500 
earnings overall. Now, if we start to see inflation come down and borrowing costs and carry costs come down, we should see an increase in earnings. Um, we have some companies that are doing stock buybacks. In fact, that's happening quite a bit in the energy sector, which was the strongest sector in 2022. And so far, it's doing very well in 2023. They're buying back stock. That makes earnings higher. And when earnings are higher, that looks better for the stock price. So we have to kind of think about that. Um, you know, I said I'd come back to the bond market. That's the stock market. We know that the yield curve on the bond market's inflated. And, and again, the yield curve being inflated means that the short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. And that means that the market is certainly concerned about the economic outlook. And so prices are low, yields are high. If the yield curve were to stabilize, the short-term prices would have to go up, the yields would have to come down. Long-term, the opposite would be true. If we're looking at yield curves over the past couple of years, and I did pull a chart um, of yield curves that are from, uh, as of Friday, January 27th of 2023, I pulled it for where the yield curve was on January 27th of 2022, January 27th of 2021, January 27th of 2020, and then I started actually getting curious because I remembered that in 2019, the yield curve had um, inverted slightly, and there were some concerns about economic slowdown. When we got into about uh, September of 2019, the Fed had to provide some liquidity for the repurchase market, which was an indicator of economic concerns. And then by the time we got around the year, we were starting to see some uh, hiccups in the economy, and then we got the pandemic, and then we all know what happened from there. So the yield curve inverted back in March of 2019. And typically, once the yield curve inverts, and if it remains inverted, then historically, we're about six to nine months out from a recession. And the yield curve did, in fact, stay inverted through 2019. And so I think what happened in 2022 and where we are now is kind of the trajectory that we would have been on anyway in 2020 had we not had the pandemic. I was telling my clients in the summer of 2019 that we needed to expect an economic slowdown that I thought was going to happen in the summer of 2020. And it was going to be related to the election because I knew that the election was going to be highly debated. I knew that we had some slowdown in economic activity. The consumer was slowing. Um, the consumer balance sheet was healthy, but still slowing in spending. But we were going to have a very nasty election, and it was going to cause companies and consumers alike to not be sure about where they were going to put money, where they were going to invest, if they were going to do it at all. And so things would just kind of pause. Well, then we got the pandemic, and that messed everything up. But the point is is that we're, we're on the, tra the trajectory long-term that we would have been on, I think. If you draw lines on charts for the S&P 500, for any of the indexes, even for bond prices, we're actually coming back to the trend. So what happened in March of 2021, again, go back to the financial podcast episode, what, to, or what, what will the market do in 2023? 
And I talked about how from March 2021 through the end of 20, end of 2021, we completely divorced price from value. And so what happened is everything that was speculative went up. So all of our tech stocks went up. We had meme stocks. We had SPACs. We had NFTs. We had crypto. We had all of that real estate, all of that stuff going crazy at the exact same time, which typically doesn't happen and was not was not real. It was all artificial. 2022, we spent the year coming back to earth. Or we are resetting. Or we are reverting to the mean. And if you draw lines on a stock market chart, it kind of looks like we're getting kind of close to reverting back to the mean, especially if we've got our earnings and our earnings per share and our price to earnings ratio of the S&P 500 coming back down to a normal value. I mean, the price to earnings ratio of the stock market over the past couple of years had been plus 20. It's now coming in in the 17s which is good. That's healthy. That looks good. So I think when we get past the numbers and we get past what all these other um, CEOs are saying, we get past the people at the Apple store who are convinced that we're headed for a big crash. Um, when you move past that, you get past the earnings and, and what we have to deal with is our emotions around the numbers. And so I want to come back to that because in the prior 11-year period before the pandemic, so March of 2009 through March of 2020, literally, that was the big bull market run. Greatest run ever. The S&P 500 returned something like 373%, something crazy like that, which, by the way, you're not going to get that anywhere close to that sitting in T-bills or savings accounts or short-term bonds or other treasuries, you're not going to get that kind of thing. That's why you remain invested even through periods of volatility and adversity because I could draw a line, pull up a chart from March of 2009 through March of 2020, and I can point out all the areas where it looked like the wheels were coming off and things were scary. I can point out the last time that we had um, stock market interruptions. I can point out when China devalued their currency. I can point out when it looked like inflation was uh, getting hot. I can point out when the Fed started raising rates. I can point out where Jerome Powell said that he didn't know where neutral monetary policy was and the stock market crashed. I can pull up where it rebounded. I can pull all kinds of things. And then we get to COVID. And the point is, is that even during that best period of 10 years, probably ever for any 10-year period, I think it was the best 10-year period for the stock market in history, there were periods where it looked like things were not good and where things, the other shoe was going to drop and things were going to come down. Um, sometimes I think we just have to expect periods like this to get to the better periods that are coming. Um, it's funny, I was recently listening to the book of Job because I was thinking about some of the adversity and, and some things that I've heard from people. And um, in if you're familiar with the story, uh, Job loses uh, all of his um, possessions, his earthly possessions. He was very wealthy, very favored by God. He was a very faithful man. He was a very good man. And um, he lost his cattle, his camels, 
servants died. Um, the house where his children were celebrating a dinner collapsed. All the children died. And it was him and his wife. He was afflicted from head to toe with sores, very painful sores. And in Job, the second chapter of Job, verse 9, Job's wife says, Are you still going to keep your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? And Job says in verse 10, Should we accept from God only good and not adversity? And if you're not a person who follows scripture or is even, um, you know, uh, claims the faith, you could pull that out and say, same thing. Should we not accept from the market gods or from the economic gods only good and not adversity? I think adversity makes us better investors. I think it forces us to actually pay attention to what matters. We look at the valuations of things rather than speculating on things and we make better decisions um, for the long term. When we do investing and even when we look at what we should expect for the economy, we're not racing for the best possible results in the next three months or the next six months or the best one year. We are trying to run a very healthy and sustained marathon over the medium term and over the long term to get the best possible outcomes over a longer period of time because we don't need all of our money today. And we don't need all of our money in the next six months. And we don't need all of our money in one year. We need all of our money for many years to come. So it makes sense for us to be tactical when we're dealing with adversity, but remain strategic because the long-term results matter more than the short-term results. They just do. So when I say the word recession, going back to that, if that's a scary word, then I'd like you to leave a comment. And I'd like to, to hear what you think about it. And uh, we, can, we can talk further. Um, I, I really would like to know what it means to you because to me, it looks like an opportunity to have things reset and to look for the next potential leg of opportunity going forward. Not to be naive. We definitely want to remain cautious, tactically cautious, but strategically allocated for the best possible outcomes, even through the things we can't control, influencing the numbers, and managing when the numbers influence our emotions. And frankly, that's a lot of the work I do, is the latter. I know the numbers are moving, and I know that people's emotions get kind of high in periods like this, and my job is to help understand the numbers and to help control the emotions and to help put those in the right context. So. Drop a comment. I'd love to know what you think about this, and, um, and we'll pick it up from there. So until next time, thanks for watching or listening, and take care. We'll see you on the next episode.